Um, but let's dig into the, to the Bible today. Uh, let's say a prayer before we, uh, we get started here. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, it's been great to open your word in the book of Acts to learn from you, to learn from the scriptures, to learn from our brothers and sisters in the first century who overcame so many obstacles and opposition um, through your Holy Spirit to, to present the gospel, the good news to others. God, you truly were at work then. God, we believe you're truly at work right now. God, we pray that your hand will guide us and lead us and let us be aware of your power uh, working. Um, shape us today through this study, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we are in Acts 19 and 20, and I'm going to get to my presentation here in just a moment on our PowerPoint so you can see the scriptures. But we're following Paul on his missionary journeys. He's been all over uh, the, the Mediterranean world there. Let's go ahead and pull this, uh, this up, and you can see the maps. Let me uh, do the share here. I'm getting better and better at this, but I hope by the time I get really good at it, we all start meeting back together. Uh, <laughs> like we'll be excited about that. Um, as soon as I say that, I can't get my keynote. Here we go. All right, here we go. Acts 2020. Let's play this. All right. So today we're going to go through Acts 19 and 20. There's so many really cool things that happen in this. We're going to have, again, have to just kind of glean uh, some of the, the main things. And we kind of can see here on Paul's first missionary journey where he went. He's going back uh, again to revisit some of the churches that have been planted. Uh, but here we're going to see him uh, mainly in, the, in Ephesus. And a lot's going to happen right here. Uh, so the, the title of this lesson is Overcoming Obstacles and opponents, overcoming obstacles and opponents. And we're, we're going to see that Paul and his traveling companions are going to face so many things that could have just stopped them right dead in their tracks. Um, and I think what we're going to really get from this today is a really faith-building message that this is definitely not a movement of man. This was not, as Peter says in 2 Peter 1, just cleverly invented stories. God's hand was at work because at any moment, so many of these things could have been stopped by people or, or uh, the opponents or just the different obstacles they faced. Even Paul later on in a shipwreck could have died and his, his companions, but God kept him alive, that God's hand was working. And this should give us so much faith that, that uh, the Jesus movement, uh, the way, what they call it, Christianity, what we call it today, following Jesus, this was a movement by God. And these stories should give us great faith. So that's the first thing we'll see. Let's read these and kind of put ourselves there. If we are a citizen of Ephesus, or if we're a Jew from the synagogue, or wherever we are, a Hellenistic person, or a Jew in this time, how these events would have really changed us, and shaped us, and brought us to belief. Here, let's read together. Acts 19, verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing, this is in Ephesus, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. 
So right here, we see that there were people who were out to get Paul. They were publicly going out and saying, don't follow this guy. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. And these were Jews who were, who were respected, who were leaders in the synagogue. And they were very much opposed to Paul. So this could have stopped him. But God was working uh, and continuing to work. Uh, look at these miraculous things that Paul did. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. That's pretty cool. Uh, just to get a piece of cloth, an apron, obviously God is using Paul in a very miraculous way. Not because Paul's some miraculous guy, but, but he's using to channel his spirit through the apostle Paul to say, this guy has the authority to listen to what he has to say. So if you're there in Ephesus, and you're seeing, seeing all these healings take place. Imagine someone going into New Hanover Hospital and, and just walking by there, uh, by the rooms of people with COVID-19, they're healed. I mean, you can imagine the stir that's going on in the city. And that's what's happening. People were flocking to Paul and listening to what he said because God was with him. Not just because he was persuasive in his words, but because God was proving that Paul was speaking uh, the truth goes on some Jews. This is, this is a, a crazy story. And we're going to come back to this. Um, but some Jews went around driving out spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. So it seems like these guys really weren't believers in Jesus, but they just saw that Paul was doing some cool things and they were like, all right, well, let's try this out. Let's just try the name of Jesus. So they said in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, so they're not claiming the faith of Jesus himself. But he says, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I mean that story is going to get around town. <laughs> this, this is, I mean, these crazy things are happening in Ephesus and, 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 you know, they're messing around with the name of Jesus and you don't do that. It, it wasn't just Paul was getting this name. It was the name of Jesus that had power and people were coming to believe in the name of Jesus because of what God was doing. Going on is, um, there's other opposition they face, and, and not just from the Jews, but from the Greeks in Ephesus. And there was, they valued their economy, they valued their jobs, they valued making money. And obviously, Paul preaching about having one God and not worshiping idols was not going to be good for the business owners who made idols, who sold these idols. So it got the business owners up in arms, and we see a riot take place in Ephesus. Um, so, uh, so look how stirred up the, the city of Ephesus gets, gets about this. And they, um, oh, you know what? I skipped over this one. Um, we'll come back to this one. This is what I'm looking at in, in, the, in Ephesus in verse 28. Uh, they're shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The whole city was in an uproar. They seized Gaius and Aristic 
Karis, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of God, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Their lives were in danger. This city was, was in an uproar. And through the clerk of the town, they, they, the, the riot uh, gets quieted and, and, and they're fine. They, they're released. But so easily, the city could have turned on them, killed them, and stopped this from going on. But God kept it going through this opposition. I got to go back to this other story in verse 7. Um, oh, not verse 7. Go backwards, please. Um, I can't go backwards. I can go backwards, 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 please. There we go. Here we go. All right. Okay. Verse 17. We're back in chapter 9. So the story of the seven sons of Sceva became known to the Jews, the Greeks in Ephesus. Look at this. They were seized with fear. And we're going to come back to that. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So you've got Jews becoming believers. You've got Greeks, you got sorcerers, people practicing magic arts, seeing the power of Jesus, seeing how powerless their gods and their magic and their sorcery was, and they surrendered to the power of Jesus to the point where they burned all their scrolls. And I did a little uh, simple math here, and a drachma is supposed to be a day's wage, let's say 100 bucks. 50,000 drachmas, $5 million worth of scrolls. What would it take for people to have that much conviction? Not just the persuasive words of Paul, but they saw the work of Almighty God and they were convinced. Over and over, we see in the book of Acts, God working. Here, each door in Acts chapter 20, and we used to always give out at our church banquets our Eutychus Award for the person who would fall asleep the most in church, uh, because it happens here in Acts chapter 20. <laughs> It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. So don't get, don't uh, criticize me for a long sermon here. Paul spoke until midnight. I'm not going to do that to you. But um, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. So maybe it was Paul's fault. Maybe he was, he was going too long. But he fell asleep. Keith, if you're out there, bro, you, 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 got, a, you got a brother here in uh, Eutychus. Um, 
When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He is alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. So he preached all night long. And I don't think anybody fell asleep after this event. <laughs> Uh, the people took the young man home alive. They were greatly comforted. I mean, can you imagine being a part of, of this early church? Of course, they were inspired by Paul. Of course, they loved to hear the sermons, but they saw the power of God. And that should give us great faith. That should give us great faith today about what we're doing and who we're worshiping, honoring Jesus Christ. This isn't a movement of man. This isn't just great preachers and teachers. God has worked and God has, has convinced mankind of his reality. Here, going back, I'm reminded of Gamaliel, the rabbi who we've talked so much about in some of our earlier lessons. And here we're seeing the, the proof of this movement, that it is truly from God. And that's what he advised the Sanhedrin when they arrested the disciples. He said, I think you should let them go. He said, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. There were so many things that battled against the early church. So many things that battled against Paul and Peter and John. So many opponents, so many obstacles that it should have died out. It should have been put to a halt from either the synagogue leaders or from the Roman government or from sorcerers or from the the people, uh, the business people of Ephesus, or what there's so many times shipwrecks, natural disasters, but it could not be stopped because God was, was moving it. God was behind it. This is the movement of Almighty God. And that should give us faith. That gives me great faith. Hope it gives you great faith here this morning. I'm going to look at one more thing that we learned from these scriptures. That these narratives, these events should fill us with faith, but also with reverent fear. And we may be a little uncomfortable with this, but this is something we've got to remember in our faith. Let's go back to that story, the seven sons of Sceva. Look what happened. Remember what happened when people heard of this story, verse 17 says, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, what happened? They were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. You know, it's good for us to remember that God deserves, Jesus Christ deserves all of our respect and honor because he is an authority and he reigns. And I think in our culture and our society, we've, we've lost a lot of this and it's something we have to really battle in our 
comfortability in our casualness with Jesus Christ that first we got to fear the Lord. You know, um, as a parent, you know, we've, we've, we got to teach that to our kids, don't we? Um, if we just try to be buddy, buddy with a two-year-old, they're going to run all over you. It doesn't work that way. Um, you know, even, uh, even Proverbs 1, 7 says what the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction that respect giving God the right honor. And it's interesting right after this in Proverbs chapter one, what does he first talk about? He says, obey your parents, children, obey your parents. Cause that's where we learn the very first lessons about authority and that, that our parents have authority over us when we're children. And it points us to understand that God has authority and we should fear that. Uh, for every one of our kids, uh, we've gone through this. Um, two years old, three years old, take a bath. No, I don't want to take a bath. Why should I take a bath? Or whatever the argument is. And, 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 and you have to stop right, right in their tracks. And so many times at that young age, I go, okay, Avery, Sawyer, Blake, Cass, whoever it is, who is the daddy? Me. Who is the little boy or the little girl? You are. Who is in charge? I am. I don't really care how you feel about this, but I'm in charge and you need to obey. That's good. I mean, of course we have so much fun, but children need to learn to obey and learn that the parents have authority over them because God's given us that and we're looking out for their safety. We know a little bit more than a two-year-old does. Uh, and so they need to trust us, but it provides the foundation of a relationship that later on, if there is that trust, that we can have a great, great friendship. Um, our walk with God starts with fear. Not that we're, oh, God's going to kill us. But God is in control. God has the authority. Um, you know, there are different strengths and weaknesses to, to, to the generations. There's been all kinds of studies. I got this off of a, of a family uh, uh, website, just looking at different generations. The traditionalists, that would have been like my grandparents, that World War II generation, the baby boomers, that'd be like my, my parents. Now, uh, Gen X, that'd be me, the millennials, you know, the, uh, the next generation. Um, and the way we view authority really has changed a lot. And, um, you know, it's, it's not that we all have it on, on straight, but I think, you know, in, in my grandparents' generation, there, there was a great high esteem for leadership and authority and a, and a respect and a duty and, and honor. And I think the baby boomers, you know, you guys, you guys challenged authority. You guys were like, <laughs> we're going to do our own thing and, and question authority. And there were some good things about that and some really bad things about that. And, and Gen X, you know, I think it, it says unimpressed. I'm trying, I don't know exactly what that means. There still is, a, um, I think in my generation, we understand uh, people are in charge, but hey, I can do that too. I don't know. I think we have to study that out. But I, th I, I think as we see how our generations go forward, that there's much more of a casual relationship with authority. And especially the millennials, with all the strengths of spirituality and service that you see in newer generations, 
one of the biggest things I think we're facing is we, we've, we're losing a lot of uh, respect and, 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 and honor. I, think you, I hope you can understand that and hear that in the right way. But I think that does battle against our Christianity. Even right now, um, let's think about it. We're doing church uh, online. You're having church in your living room right now. You're having church at your breakfast table. Um, as inconvenient as this coronavirus has made, made our life and it's been challenging, man, our religion is really convenient. We've got computers to, to sit there and listen to a sermon. If we read through the Old Testament, God certainly didn't make religion convenient, did he? You know, uh, you can imagine, you know, a, a shepherd, you know, 30 miles from Jerusalem would have to walk for several days and spend so much money and, and take a lot of time off of work to go to Jerusalem, to spend a lot of money to, to buy a lamb and sacrifice and, and come back to his family. And, and um, there was a lot to that. It certainly wasn't convenient. Several times a year to make this journey. And so often in Israel, they, they would, you know, the kings wanted to make more convenient worship places that went against God's ordinances, but it wasn't about convenience. It was about honoring God. The, God was to be worshiped. Uh, people came together to sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, they came together to celebrate with the Lord, and they came together for fellowship. So how can we keep this reverence, this awe of God in our lives? Because it's going to war against us. Maybe there's some practical things we can do. What, what a great opportunity we have right now, because we can't rely upon going into a church building to, to make this a reverent place. You know, we have to do that in our own hearts, in our own lives. But I want to challenge us to not just be casual. You know, we give, we give online, PayPal. You know, let's not be casual about it. It's an act of worship. What can you do? Well, let's stop. Let's bring the family together. Let's pray about this. Let's honor the Lord with our giving. Um, maybe communion. You know, uh, you know, when you're at your home, maybe you can, how can we make this very special? Maybe you want to want to make the communion bread. Yes, it takes time, it takes effort, but it's a it's a form of worship. Maybe on Sunday mornings to, to have so it's not so convenient and we could be in our pajamas. <laughs> we could be laying in bed listening to this, but maybe we want to get up, get dressed like we would going into church, um, put on our shoes, give our best, be ready to worship. Our prayer times. You know, when's the last time we bowed down to the Lord? When's the last time we got on our knees to pray? Instead of just praying on our nice cushy couches or where it's just nice and feels good and our cup of coffee, where we bow down and we worship the Lord with reverence. Let's remember to worship God. Let's honor him. We are worshipers of Jesus Christ. Let's keep that respect. Let's see that in the scripture. Let's see that in the stories of Acts and the narratives of Acts. And let's continue to keep worshiping God with honor and respect. I'm going to close here today before we take communion in Hebrews 12. 
We do know God loves us and cares for us. But Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and God is giving us everything. He is giving us. He's so generous and so loving and receiving us. Let's be thankful. Let's be, let's celebrate. And let's do what? Let's worship God acceptably. And how do we do that? With reverence, with awe, that fear, that respect, that honor that God deserves. Why? Our God is a consuming fire. We worship a mighty God. Let's be grateful for him. We come to believe in him because of all that he is and all that he has done. But let us not be casual with God. Let us not be casual with Jesus Christ. Let's not be casual with our worship because our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray now for the communion. And we're not going to have any song played or anything super fancy or anything, but you're going to have, hopefully before you, you've got your grape juice or your wine and some bread. And you're there to worship God. I'm going to pray for the communion. Let our hearts go to him. Let us worship him. If you'd like to get on your knees, if you'd like to stand in a way that's uncomfortable, your arms together, whatever it is, in a way that would honor God, or just to meditate quietly in your heart. Let's worship Jesus as we take communion together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We're so grateful for you and how you have given us everything. We're thankful. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful for your kingdom. We're thankful for eternity with you. We're thankful for the meaning and purpose you give to our lives. We're thankful for the abundant blessings you, you give out to us every day. We're thankful we get to rely upon you through challenging times. God, we're thankful that you never leave us. We're thankful for Jesus and his sacrifice. How he gave everything for us. God, you're so generous and so loving. God, we come before you unworthy. We come before you in all of you, of your power and your might. God, we worship you. We're thankful that we can be in your presence through Jesus Christ. Thank you for these elements, for the juice that represents the blood of Jesus, for the bread that represents his, his body, that he sacrificed for us to bring us into your presence, into a relationship with you. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.